We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. Well, I don't know if many of you saw, but about four weeks ago, Boston had some very important visitors come to the city. Prince William and Princess Kate, the future king and queen of England. And they were here to give a humanitarian award, and they had many other stops along the way. And one of their unannounced stops was a Boston Celtics game. Now, usually when I watch the Celtics on TV, I don't pay much attention to who is sitting courtside or do I really care. But when I was watching that game, I could not help but to watch Prince William and Princess Kate the whole game. Uh, I I forgot there was a basketball game happening. You're just kind of waiting to see what they're gonna do, how they're gonna respond, how they're gonna to react to what's happening in the game. And then after the game, the Celtics head coach, Joe Mazzullo, was interviewed in the post-game conference, and he was asked, did you get a chance to meet the royal family? He replied, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? (laughs) And the reporter giggled and said, no, the prince and princess of Wales, to which Mazzullo said, oh, no, I did not. I'm not familiar with that royal family. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about the other one. Thank you. (laughs) And what was amazing about that interaction is that it completely silenced the press room. Nobody else asked him another question about Prince William and Princess Kate being at the Celtics game. We see that people don't seem to have a hard time talking about Jesus as we Think about him as a good moral teacher, maybe a prophet or a priest. But when we consider Jesus as king, it has tremendous meaning and impact on our lives. If Jesus is in fact king, then we or in the whole world are subject to his lordship. If Jesus is king of our lives, then it means that we are not an authority of our own lives. It means that there is another who leads us. And to not follow his rule means that we are subject to the consequences of rejecting his rule and reign in our lives. In our passage in Luke we read this morning, there were seven statements that the angel Gabriel makes about this child. And this morning we will consider the last four in verses 32 and 33. And we will see that this child was born to reign. We will look at the nature of this child, the reign of this child, and the kingdom of this child. Verses 32 and 33, I'll read them again. He says, he will be great, and he will be called son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So let's consider the nature of this child. The first thing we are told is that he will be great. What does it mean for a king to be great? 
Usually when we think about greatness, particularly as it relates to kings or rulers, we may think of someone who's powerful, wise, prosperous. We tend to think of riches and grandeur. But that is not greatness as defined by God's kingdom. What does it mean for Jesus to be a great king? Perhaps this is best illustrated a little later in the book of Luke. When Jesus is instituting the Lord's table, he's sitting around the table with his disciples. And all of a sudden it says that a dispute rose among them and Jesus about who would be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? but I am among you as the one who serves. Greatness in God's kingdom is marked by a life of service. Or as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, let each of you not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. If we want to reflect the greatness of our King Jesus, then we too must become servant of all. Or as Jesus says in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man, God himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus became great by becoming low, the King of heaven and earth, born in a manger, or as Mark preached last night, uh, came as a helpless babe. And if we think the king of heaven and earth could not go any lower, he died on the cross for the sins of the world. How is his greatness manifested in your life? How do you think about serving others? In what ways does your life model a life of servanthood? If we're honest with ourselves, we tend to be a selfish people, thinking about our good, what we need, what we want, instead of thinking of the good of another and putting it in front of our own. Jesus became great by becoming low. The second thing we learn about the nature of this child is that he is the son of the Most High. He is God in the flesh. He is God who has come to his people. This was the promise God had made to Israel, that he would come and rescue his people, that he would not send an angel or a messenger, but God himself would come. We see this in Ezekiel 37. He says, my dwelling place shall be with them. Or in Isaiah 59, it says, a redeemer will come to Zion. And from Isaiah 43, we know that the redeemer is the holy one. The redeemer is God himself was going to come to his people. And this is what makes Christianity different than any other religion is that God did not send a mere person, a prophet or an angel to accomplish salvation, but God himself came. God in the person of Christ left his heavenly throne room and walked among us. God came and dwelled with his people. 
And the good news for us this morning is that he is still with us through the power of his Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in our bodies and sits at the throne of our hearts when we call him Lord of our life. He dwells with us, making our bodies temples of his spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and in me. And in Jesus, heaven and earth have come together. This child was going to be great by becoming low and would be the son of the most high God. Now let us consider the reign of this child. And it says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, as we walk through the recent pandemic through COVID, one of the things that, at least for me, made it bearable, especially back in early 2020, when things didn't look so great, was the idea that this is not going to last forever. We had many medical researchers and physicians working on therapies and the vaccine. We would see drops in numbers when the weather started turning. Um, <clears throat> So there were always little signs of hope. Later variants became less and less severe. There were always little glimpses of hope that would help keep pushing forward. And undoubtedly, whether it was the last couple years or other difficult times we walked through, oftentimes we need to see a light at the end of the tunnel in order to endure the hardship that we are currently in. This is especially true of prisoners of war. Stories like Louis Zamperini, who survived multiple prison camps, survived by having an optimistic outlook, by not giving up. To endure hardship, we need to see a light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that there are better days ahead. And the promise of a king from the line of David was the light at the end of the tunnel for the Israelites. If through this Advent season you went through a reading plan, most likely you spent a lot of time in the Old Testament narratives looking at this promise of a Davidic king who was to come. And the Davidic covenant was the hope of Israel throughout their exile. If you look through all the prophets, they constantly point to this idea of a king who would come in the line of David. For example, in Isaiah 9, another popular passage we read this time of year, it says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time for forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The promise of this Davidic king was the hope of Israel. And we see who his reign is over, says our text reads that he will reign over the house of Jacob. And while it began in the house of Jacob or with Israel, it by no means ended there. It was not exclusive to Israel, but open to all people. It would be through the line of Abraham and through the line of David that salvation was to come to all people. 
the God of Jacob was never meant to only be the God of Jacob. As we see all the way back in Genesis 12, Abraham's family was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In Isaiah 11, it says, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, that's David's father, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. In Daniel 7, to him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall never pass away. God's plan was never to abandon Israel, but to transform it into his church and to you and me, whose primary marker would not be their ethnicity, but their faith in King Jesus, who share the DNA of the Holy Spirit, which is why Paul wrote in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. A great statement of Jesus' kingship can also be found in what we commonly call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. When after the resurrection, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a clear statement of Jesus' kingship, that he is in fact the king from the line of David whose kingdom would have no end, a king for all the peoples, for all nations. And Jesus' kingship is what is at the heart of the gospel. We often associate the word gospel with how Jesus became king, or the story of salvation through his perfect life of obedience, his death, his resurrection. And this is the means by which he became king. But the gospel message itself is a proclamation. It's a statement of what is true, that Jesus is king. That is the gospel. Jesus is king, not Caesar, not an earthly ruler, nor are we the kings of our own lives. The word gospel or good news, this word was around before the pages of the scripture were written, before the New Testament was written. It was not a unique word to the scriptures. It was a word used to describe a proclamation of any good news, such as a wedding or the birth of a new ruler. And most notably on a document dated in the 9th BC, in 9 BC, called the Pre-N Inscription, which was a proclamation of Caesar. And it reads this way, it says, The providence which has ordered the whole of our life has ordained the most perfect consummation for a human life by giving it to Caesar Augustus, by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us and those who come after us to make war cease, to create order everywhere, the birthday of a god, Augustus, was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by him. Which is why Mark begins his gospel, the beginning 
of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the King, the Son of God. Mark is making a clear statement that Caesar is not God and King, but that Jesus is both God and King. And perhaps the greatest gospel proclamation in Scripture is from Peter when Jesus, is at, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter exclaims, you are the Christ. You are God's King. The gospel is a proclamation of what is true. And we often need more gospel proclamation in our lives to remind ourselves of what is the most true reality, that Jesus is King. And sometimes the greatest thing we can do when we are feeling sad, stressed, overwhelmed, and anxious is to remind ourselves what is ultimate and what is true in our lives. Sometimes we need to step back to see the forest when we are caught up in the trees. And the greatest hope that we have in life, what is most true, is that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. God has come to his people. Now, of course, this reality may not immediately fix whatever it is that we're struggling with or whatever we are going through, but Jesus doesn't promise to rescue us from every hardship or circumstance, but he promises to be Emmanuel, God with us through it. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So how does he make his reign known? His rule is made known through his church, who is living out his law to love God and to love neighbor, to live out the principles of justice, mercy, throughout the entire world. And in Christ, heaven and earth has come together, and those who are filled, and as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are to bring pieces of heaven to the places we go in our world. How does Jesus come into his reign? He didn't simply just inherit his reign by his nature or his bloodline but by his faithfulness and obedience to the will of God the Father. He didn't just simply inherit his kingdom, he fought for it, but not with a sword, but with love. He didn't just snap his fingers and let injustice and sin go unpunished, but he absorbed it in his body on the cross. The sin, the punishment for sin that we deserved why Paul writes in Colossians 2, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
we see that God's king was indeed Isaiah's suffering servant. That first Jesus had to suffer and die before he would come into his glory, which he explained to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now King Jesus is ruling and reigning from his heavenly throne room and hopefully in our lives as well. And lastly, we see the kingdom of this child. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we won't spend much time here as we'll dig into this point a little bit if you'll be joining us next Sunday on New Year's Day for worship. But Jesus compares his kingdom to a wedding banquet. Jesus' kingdom is a place full of joy and laughter and the full presence of God. And we need not to wonder what it is like but read the few verses out of Revelation 21, for it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Heaven and earth will be brought together again for all eternity. That is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we close this morning, there are three points of application that I want to draw on. I don't know what you have going on in your life, what circumstances you find yourself in this morning, but like Israel awaited for the coming of this king from the line of David, our hope is that he is coming again in the second advent where heaven and earth will be one. And while we wait for his return, he is our hope. He is the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything we suffer or go through in this life is only temporary. Although when we are going through it, it can feel like an eternity which led the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12 to say, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so closely entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in him we know that he is not a distant king, but he invites those who have faith to come in his throne room. A person will be lucky in their life if they ever get an audience with the prince and princess of Wales. But we as followers of Jesus have an audience with the king of the universe whenever we desire. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, therefore let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Our second point of application is simple. Jesus reigns. Jesus above all. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. He shall reign. I can't hear these words without hearing the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah in my head. He shall reign forever and ever. The King of kings 
the Lord of Lords. And even though we can't physically observe it with our eyes, Jesus is King, and He is reigning in the lives of those who call Him Lord, and His rule and the effects of His rule and the dominion of His rule is to be made known through you and me, His church. We are to serve as reminders that Jesus is King as we live out the principles of His kingdom, of humility, of love, of justice and righteousness. And lastly, if this child who we celebrate this Christmas morning is indeed king of the world, then how is his reign being reflected in your life? Are we serving him or something else? What is seated or who is seated on the throne of your heart? And if you're here this morning and you have not surrendered your life to King Jesus, if he is not the Lord of your life, then I invite you to put him on the throne of your heart. By, simple, by simply confessing the gospel proclamation that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the scriptures say you will be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have much to celebrate this Christmas morning. God's promised king has come and he is coming again to establish his kingdom on earth forever and ever. Let us find joy in the gospel proclamation this morning that Jesus is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are king and Lord, Lord, may your reign be reflected in our lives, God. It's my prayer that you would sit on the throne of our hearts, God, that our actions would reflect your kingdom, Lord, as we take your light into this world. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in your church, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.